Welcome to Africans Heal. We're here to foster a healthy African diaspora community and promote mental health awareness through storytelling and celebrating our cultures. We're here to heal together. Tupone Pamoja. Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Africans Heal. On this episode, we'll be talking with a clinical psychologist. She has been practicing psychology for the past five years and has been specifically specializing in substance abuse, depression, and anxiety in athletes in Kenya. In this episode, she will help us understand depression, anxiety, and if they have any correlations with substance abuse. She'll also help us figure out different ways we can cope and how to be there for loved ones who may be experiencing depression and anxiety or dealing with substance abuse. So welcome, Rhoda Kiture. I am so glad to have you on Africans Hill. Thank you so much. <laughs> Anything else you'd like to add to that? Uh it's a pleasure being here, Christine, and also providing a platform to share and giving my own perspective from a professional side of it. Thank you. Thank you again for being our first mental health professional guest on the podcast. <laughs> Thank you. I am, I'm so grateful to have you and I cannot wait to hear and learn from all that you have to share. Like from the minute this started, I was like, I need a professional on here to really share with us the clinical and scientific side of things. Okay. Welcome. Thank you, Christine. So the first question is, why clinical psychology? Why did you choose this field? Um, I can just start way back. Uh, I've always wanted to be a nurse. I had this way of I want to help. But when you when you grow up in a community where there are issues of substance abuse within the community, there sometimes you you come across violent issues. And I needed to find a place where I can actually handle these things because you don't understand. Many people don't understand where why do people become become abusers of alcohol of any other drugs so i decided to venture into psychology and at the time i wanted to do health psychology because i wanted to work in a clinical setting where i'm helping people manage their diet helping people sometimes you hear someone has a migraine but the migraine is not a, as a result of maybe a problem in their body but it's mental but clinical with time i came to realize with clinical i i asked it's that thing where you start work studying and you realize you've found the passion what you've always wanted to work on. So I let's just say it's that it's my passion for it because I was able to actually understand the cause of these things. Why why someone can become violent? Why people stay in violent marriages or in relationship? Why people are killing themselves? Why this happens to people? And with that, I can be able to come up with ways of how to help them one way or another. So it was a, a pain a painting question just about why do people suffer and why why are they stuck in these situations and how can I help them? Yeah. And to to get in a more personal uh, level, I have a relative who has been struggling for the longest time with alcohol related disorders. And this is a person who was very smart. It's a person who at the end, they are finishing their primary school. They are the top of the county. They are like they're performing well. And then they got into drugs and everything parents that try to do can't be helped. And it was the parents try to blame themselves. This is someone who, apart from drugs, became very manipulative, got into gangs and 
ended up causing the family more trauma. And even for us, we couldn't do anything. So for me, I couldn't understand why someone who was doing so well all of a sudden has gone on a downhill where they're abusing drugs, any money they get, they're selling property from home, even the point of violence within the family. And with every treatment being done, nothing is changing to a point of he ended up be, he ended up in prison. And even that didn't help. Coming out, still back to the same old habits. So that one made me made me actually curious. How can this happen to this person? And is there another way we can help? It's It's a painful experience. When you see someone who you're close to going through that, it's it actually now triggers you to understand why. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think um, is excessive alcohol use a mental, considered a mental illness? Yes, it is a mental illness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Currently in the, we use uh, DSM. I don't know if you've come across it. Diagnostic Statistical the, Manual. Statistic. According to DSM-5, alcohol is actually a mental illness. And it's a illness like even, it's a chronic illness. Where the minute you're diagnosed with that, it's a recovery process where you you don't actually recover fully. So usually say it's a that person is a recovering alcoholic. That person will always call themselves that a recovering yes alcohol. alcohol. Are they trying to find different names for it instead of calling people alcoholic? Uh, is it, are they trying to change that? I was reading somewhere that they're trying to not to not label people by those terms because then it makes people feel like just stigmatized like they will never they'll just never be able to get out of that if they want to change like they're stuck uh that's actually true uh these days what we say is some it's a substance use disorder Mm -hmm. alcohol disorder you i can't label you i tell you you're alcoholic but I'm saying you have an alcohol use disorder. I say you have a substance use disorder either. And then for the substance use, we categorize things like weed. Uh, we have the nicotine addiction. We have cocaine addiction, heroin addiction. All those now we say you have a substance use disorder. So with that, I'm not labeling you, telling you you have you are just a, a, an addict. No. So I say it's a disorder you have and it's beyond your means. So hence the need for treatment. Yeah, I personally find it really intense calling someone an addict. It's so, yeah. <laughs> I feel like I, nobody wakes up wanting to to be tied on drugs. No, no. It's not a decision that someone just wakes up and wants to do that to themselves. No, you start you even when you when you look at someone any other kind of drug, you start by maybe experimenting and then you find it has gotten and the level it gets to the place where you can't live without it, it's beyond you. So I, even for me, I really get mad sometimes when I feel people saying, ah, leave that addict alone. Ah, leave that addict alone. They can't control their lives. But the fact is, it has got, it's like someone who has diabetes. Alcohol is regarded as that way because it's a chronic illness, which it has to be managed. And chances of relapse is very high. And when they relapse, they manage it back again and they can actually live like that for the longest time. Someone relapses even after 10 years, others 20 years. So it's a chronic illness which has to be managed. Can you explain to us what depression and anxiety is? I think there's a big confusion and just misunderstanding of what they are really. So from a clinical psychologist, what is depression and what is anxiety? Uh, what I can start by saying is uh, for the reason why many people confuse, it's because they are usually combined together 
something like uh, substance use, depression, and anxiety, we consider them as common mental illnesses because you find if someone has symptoms of depression, may show even symptoms of anxiety. And sometimes you find now another part, someone has a substance use disorder. So most of the times you find they are, they, they are interchanging. You find you will not find someone fully with just depression. They show symptoms of anxiety. And other times you find someone has an anxiety disorder and may show symptoms of depression. So that's why it gets confusing. But they are totally different disorders. So uh, for depression, it's let's say it's a recurring mood where you find you're in a very depressed mood for almost on a daily basis. You find you're, you've, you lost, you've lost interest in the activities you used to do for a long period of time. Let's say as far as you say, maybe it's within a two-week period of time and these symptoms are there. Maybe you find someone has, has a weight loss or others it's weight gain within this period of time. You find even they, they like you've come across people who they say they don't want to leave their bed, they just want to sleep the whole day slowed movement activities, you find you're feeling sluggish and then you find you're fatigued, loss of energy. And then also it gets to a point where you can concentrate on the things you're doing. For depression, there are so many symptoms before I come to say you're actually showing a symptoms of depression and it has to be within a period of time, let's say two weeks continuously. And it's these symptoms are there recurring on and every day. And then others on extreme measures, you find there are people who are saying, I'm feeling worthless, feelings of worthlessness, low self-esteem. And to a point, others are like, there's no purpose for me to continue living anymore. So those these are symptoms of depression. On a clinical term, we call it major depressive disorder. Now, anxiety, there are so many types of anxiety disorders, but I'll just talk about the, the general one, which is the general generalized anxiety disorder, which is where you have fear of what might happen in the future. The worry, the constant worry and the anxiety of what will happen if this, if I do this, this may happen in the future. So you find you're even irritable. You can't concentrate. You're there every time. You're like, if I do this, this will happen. So you find even the body function of itself, it's actually affected. You, you will see even there's some commonalities with depression where you're fatigued, where you're feeling like you you can't even sleep because that also happens with depression. But now for anxiety is the constant worry. And the worry is irrational. It's an irrational kind of thought process. Because if someone comes and say, if I step outside, I believe I may be hit by a car. We realize for any normal person, we know high chances of even accidents happening. They're there. Even when you get in a car, you don't know what will happen. But this person, this constant worry makes them actually fear to step out of the house sometimes to actually take up any kind of event because of the fear of what might happen. And this is something which happens on a continuous basis to a point where they can't even sleep. It affects now the focus. The focus is affected. They can't concentrate on any other thing. If we have time, we can look at maybe the different types of anxiety. There are so many because we have others who they have anxiety of actually going to social situations. We have other people who have the anxiety, the, the one where they can't leave the house because they fear if I leave the house, something bad will happen. So that's the, the main distinction. For anxiety is the constant worry of a future thing happening and it's an irrational. But for the part of depression is whereby you have lost all sense of happiness. You have lost all sense of actually your self-esteem is affected. You're feeling like you've there is no need of even continuing anymore. You don't have energy even for leaving the house. And for worry, that part is not there. And so what signs can we look out for in someone? You you mentioned the feeling tired and fatigued. Yes. yes. Are there also people who still get up and they go, but then you notice, ah, oh, this person has lost so much weight. They don't eat. So what are the signs 
can we look for on some people who may be anomalies, mm-hmm. who actually are getting up and they're doing stuff, but they're actually depressed? There are many, many people stay with depression before actually it starts showing the signs. Many people have gone to live with it and found a way to manage for the longest time. That's why it's very tricky to identify this. So uh, for the part of depression, the first thing when now, let's say someone has come to me as a client and uh, they're showing the first assignment is I first assess in terms of sleep. If there's any indication of sleep disturbance, let's say in the last two weeks, you're not sleeping, maybe you're having less sleep or even you're sleeping more than usual. Let's say you used to sleep for six hours. Now you're sleeping continuously for even 12 hours in the morning. You just want to sleep. Others, you find you're sleeping less two hours. That's an sign. And then we also assess any thought of suicidal ideation. Even not even saying I'm going to commit suicide, just even the thought of ending one's life. That kind of ideation, we have to look at that. That's also another sign. And then that one you've said about weight loss. And I've said there are others who gain a lot of weight within a short period of time. Others, they, it's weight loss. And now, and there's no physical illness attached to it. And this person, it's not actually intentionally trying to diet. So that's another sign of it. And then you find this person used to enjoy things to do together, used to like having time with people, but they no longer do that. Also, we have others, it's others who they try to cover it for the longest time. They try to cover it. They're smiling with you. They're showing you everything is okay. But now you look at other patterns of behavior. Are you, that's now where you're bringing even the substance part of it. These people, maybe they'd be using a different substance to cover it, to cope with what they're going through because they don't understand. And then maybe someone, the same way, you're constantly fatigued. You're still going to work, but you're forever tired. Every time you're just tired, your body's tired and there's no illness, physical illness related to that. So if you show symptoms of at least five of those in the last period, maybe two weeks. Now that one, I can actually diagnose and see you're showing symptoms of major depressive disorder. So at that point, do you get um, people on a treatment plan, like medication, or what do you usually do for people who present with such cases? Uh, Now, in my case, because now for me, for for clinical psychology, we don't prescribe medication, but I do assessment. For me, the assessment part of it is after I've done the assessment and maybe I realize this is something which has been occurring. And so I have to go deeper and look at your life. If there is any even incidences of someone who has suffered such a thing in your family, there is evidence of now a genetic aspect of it. So I look at the biopsychosocial, the biological part of it, the physical part of it, and the psychological part of it. I prefer starting with therapy first before I jump into medication. Because sometimes I may go to medication, for some people it works, but you may end up depending on the medication to treat. And it's something and you end up actually getting hooked to the medication for managing your life. So for me, it's I usually start therapy straight away according to the kind of depression someone is going through. And from that, it's based on the assessment I'll be doing. So I may even start maybe if it's something which is more psychological based, I'll start with uh, a therapy like cognitive behavioral therapy, where I'm looking what are kind of the thoughts you're going through, what kind of behaviors, how can we change this behavior to change your thought process? So for me, I usually go with therapy. But for the one which has been there for the longest time and you find this person is getting to a point of maybe even suicidal ideation, even thought of suicide, I may may refer this person out to a psychiatrist for 
now medication. But if I feel there's a need of therapy before it gets there, if it's not severe, we handle with therapy. But if I feel it's something this person has been going through for a long time, and as I said, there's evidence of suicide, now there a psychiatrist has to come in because of medication. Okay, so prescribing is for the psychiatrist. Yes, in Kenya, psychiatrists are the ones who have that license too prescribe medication. Okay. Yes. You also mentioned CBT. Yes. So what's the difference between CBT and dialectical behavior therapy, DBT? Uh, now, it, it differs in the way of how you're treating someone and the kind of condition this person is going through. For the reason why I go with CBT uh, in Kenya, and because it's something which is very new, people are still learning about mental health. So CBT, it allows for a short period, let's say even six sessions before. And now getting someone committed for those, it's very hard. And for CBT, it allows for the person actually to do the work themselves, for, for them to actually be a conscious way of working on themselves. I give you assignment to go work on it. Go maybe, let's say it's uh, you're doing journaling. Maybe it's something you're working on. So it's both the type of where the client is working and I'm also working with them. And after that, it allows them time to actually become independent in consciously working on their behavior. You have to actually be aware. Now, this is the part of now the CBT. So you, you, you're feeling of you're feeling worthless. Why is this, this thought coming from? And can you counter this? Can you counter this? So the, it, it matters with now even the levels of understanding with a person. I've worked with men a lot. And for me, I found the effectiveness of CBT. So I haven't used DBT on my side, I can say it's a, it's a, it's a therapy technique I've never used. So for me, I've used, uh, there's one called RBT, Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy and CBT. Those are the two techniques I can confidently say I have worked with and I've seen them being effective. Okay. So you said examples of CBT assignments such as journaling. What other assignments would you give people who are dealing with this and who are going through this treatment? Uh, so let's say it's someone who has a substance use disorder and you feel, let's say you, you are stressed at work and you feel the urge, that urge comes in, I need a drink right now. So there you're conscious enough, I tell you, monitor that. I give you a daily monitor where you're seeing the state of mind and when the, the urge came in. What was happening during that period? So you're keeping count of your emotions because if you actually, and how you actually perceive that emotion, if you look at the, the, the state you're in and you look it up in a negative way, meaning the negativity will trigger you to actually go numb it or end up going to the drinking part of it. You go end up taking the drink. So I consciously tell you to monitor yourself. So you're feeling the urge. How was your state of your mind? What were the events around you during that period of time? And then now the more you monitor, the more you're bringing it to awareness. The more you're bringing your feelings to, you're connecting with your feelings. And then now when you come for therapy, now we conquer, we look at how are you feeling at this period? Why did this happen? Why do you feel those? So we, it's more of daily monitoring. It's more of a register. You monitor your moods. The minute you feel the urge, even though you end up drinking, what was happening during that period? The events. So there's journaling. I usually work a lot with journaling and then daily monitoring. Okay. Yes. So the CBT is for monitoring. Yes. Why you're feeling, how you were feeling when you got triggered to do something. Yes. And the therapy part is talking about those emotions and why you were feeling that way. Yes. And can we change okay. those emotions to a more of how are you being? You've seen like for depression, most of the times we perceive ourselves in a very negative way. 
I am worthless. I am not, I don't have a purpose. You're feeling, you have constant feelings of shame and guilt. Any activity you do, you're in that state of no happiness around you. There is nothing you feel, even in the morning, like, what am I going to do? So I'm trying, when you feel that feeling of shame, because you know the minute that feeling comes in, it will change the way you're, you're looking at it and it will change the behavior. So it's counter, constantly countering these feelings you have and the thoughts you have to actually have a new perspective, a positive perspective towards yourself. Now you feel I'm having these suicidal thoughts. Now there, it's immediately, it's a call. Give me a call. If I'm not around there, tell me what was going on in your mind during. So I'm constantly bringing the subconscious thoughts to consciousness and we counter them with something positive or something to work on. So when the trigger comes up again, you can deal with it differently rather than maybe running to whatever it is that was your choice maybe escaping through a drug or whatever it may be. So you can maybe make a different choice when that happens. Yeah, because one thing I came to realize, many people are not aware of why this is happening to them. Many people are not aware of why do I feel like this? And when that urge comes, your body already, even your mind registers. If I feel like this, this is my result. This is how I cope with it. They don't realize what is happening. So when I make you aware, you can actually realize this is a trigger of mine. So One thing, are you consciously go registering your triggers? Every time you're registering your triggers because there are many. And then when you know this is a trigger, you can actually know how to handle that trigger without running to whichever way you're coping with it. You also mentioned that um, you deal with, you work with athletes, with male athletes. So why athletes and what sport? Uh, Let me just give a short history on that. Uh, When I finished my undergrad in psychology, I started, I started playing rugby. And when I started playing rugby, uh, I used it to cope even with what was happening in my life because at the time I was working in a mental hospital, mother mental hospital, and there's so many issues you're coming through there. And every time I would go play, I would feel a sense of relaxation. For me, it was a good coping mechanism and it worked so well. But with time, I even when I finished, I didn't go for because you're supposed to go for therapy when you're working there. But for me, ah, I used I used playing as a sort of therapy for me, which was an escape and it worked. But until now, I got to a place where I'm seeing the kind of behavior where you you many people are using rugby as an escape. So if rugby is an escape, what happens if this rugby is also causing these issues you're going through? So you find during that period, uh the drinking increases, you find people are engaging in other sub- substances to escape. And for men, men don't talk. I, another thing I notice is men don't talk a lot about their issues. They will find a way to release the pressure they are going through, but they will never talk. So when I was playing, I could see this because we used to play with them. We used to train with the men. It's a club which had both ladies and men. And the more I'm relating with them, I would see after every game, no matter what is going on in the game, the drinking was too much. For the men. And on Sunday, someone, even sometimes they, you've, they're not playing that week, some, you find some of them are drinking on a daily basis from Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday continuously. And it would affect their performance in the game. And the more and more I started talking to them, I could feel issues coming up. And you could pick these things. And now, for me, I saw it's the same thing. I've used rugby as an escape. Instead of now dealing with my issues every time I would come to the field, I'll just become my, my source of... <laughs> Relief. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. But now with time, I realize it's a, for 
as much as for me, it's I love the sport. And also it's a place where they're forgotten. People think because I'm in a sport, I'm an athlete, I don't have issues. I don't have issues with even anxiety issues. I don't have, I, do, I can manage my stress level uh, because I'm training. You know, the way we are told exercise when you're going through something, exercise, you feel better. So yeah. people don't realize now for athletes, it's totally different. These people, this is their career. And the same career, it's affecting them. There's pressure associated with this. So them, it's not an escape. Sometimes it's also a part of their job. So I started seeing these issues coming up often. And as now I got an interest and that's when I decided to do my master's in clinical because also for me, when I got injured, that's when I realized I need help on the things I'm going through. When I went through that and for me, I'm, I wasn't a professional athlete. I was just playing for fun. So what what about the person who is a professional athlete? And this is their part. This It's a career. And the more I got into it, the more I realized, actually, these things are more prevalent even among this population. And most of them, it's depression, anxiety, and substance abuse, which is so prevalent within that. And the fact that them talking about it is the stigma associated in that. They are considered it's a weakness when you admit you have a problem. They don't talk about it. So it continues staying hidden. And it's now trickles, trickles down from their game to their family, to their work. And it's a cycle which, unless you break it, it's, it still continues for long. We've talked about how this is a problem, but yeah. I just wanted you to emphasize on why do we need to give it more attention? Why do we need to give depression, anxiety, and substance abuse disorders, why do we need to give them attention, especially right now? There are so many factors which are contributed to it becoming a big problem. And uh, as you've said, when we are talking about the common mental illnesses, these three, you find they come in together. So with the current economy and with, let's say, even with COVID, right now, people don't know how to cope with these pressures. People don't know. And it has affected us in a way. It is, it is, it has caused us a, a change in lifestyle. And the, the economy part of it is not helping. And people have no idea it's something which is affecting them. People don't know, like before you'd find, even I'm very sure, uh, even our own grandparents and great grandparents, they went through this, but them, they didn't know. And the kind of the environment they were in then, it's different from now. Right now, we find marriages are breaking every time. We find divorce rates are going high. We find more and more abuse because domestic violence is on a high rate and people don't understand what is happening. So with all this pressure coming in, life, life stressors on a daily basis, people have no idea how to cope with them. And most of the contributing part of it is stress and people don't know how to manage stress. People know when you're stressed, go have a drink. When this happens, go have a drink. When you lose someone, go have a drink. Things like grief contributes to depression if not dealt with because it shows the same sense of depression when not dealt with. You find other things like even when you've lost someone, it can lead to anxiety disorder because you, the, the worry comes in. Unless you deal with that irrational fear, this person, it can grow to a disorder where I... I don't want to live. Whatever happens is I lose someone else. I don't want relationship. What if I lose someone I care about? The same thing. People deal with grief through substance abuse and they're not aware of what's going on. So there's been a lack of awareness for the longest time. A substance abuse, for it to occur, someone to get to that level, there's an underlying problem for you to use alcohol or even cocaine as, as a coping mechanism. It, for right now, it's something which needs to be attended to because it's, it's connected. All of them are connected and combination 
connection with other mental illnesses you haven't talked about. So for me, I feel there's a need. And the more it's growing concern because the society is dealing with challenges you're not used to dealing in anymore. Like COVID, there's a lot of, like you find trauma-related illnesses and people are not aware. I've found many people when I've talked to someone, like in a setting where someone didn't know they were going through something. And then now when you talk about them, they're like, by the way, when you start talking about it, I've been feeling like this and this and this. And they give you a symptoms, the symptoms they're showing, it's maybe even symptoms of anxiety. It's symptoms of, you find they have a substance use disorder, other symptoms of depression, or maybe it's a mild depression. So many people don't know what they're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the pressure from work, because you're trying to manage work, you find there's, because you don't have that balance, you find things like fatigue and burnout as a result of work. And symptoms of Burnout are almost similar to symptoms of depression and people don't know and people don't have mechanism of coping. They're lacking. So that's why it's still a big problem. Illnesses are piling up every time you find even uh, lifestyle diseases and you find there's also a correlation with mental illness in some of them. So for me, I feel it's a concern right now and it needs to be addressed and people need to be aware of what's going on. Yeah, I agree. You touched on the COVID problem and that's a big one because I remember even in the beginning of the pandemic, most of us were so scared to check our work email because you didn't know if you were going to be laid off, if you're going to be laid off two months later, if you're going to completely lose your job, how are you going to pay for things? So every Every day, I think we're all kind of living in a state of anxiety or the whole world is in a state of anxiety and we're learning every day how to cope. And as you'll say, it's you're in a constant state of worry. What happens if I get it? What happens to my family? And people don't realize this kind of thoughts, they can contribute to a bigger problem if you're not dealt with them. Sometimes people don't know you're lacking sleep every time. They don't realize there's a bigger problem. The more you accumulate these thoughts without dealing with them or even having a solution to them and a support system is not there. That's when now even your body itself gets to a point of, I can't do this anymore. When when you're so stressed, when you're in a constant state of stress, your immunity is lowered. So meaning you're exposed to even more illnesses and you don't realize. You don't realize your body is trying to protect you to a point where it can't anymore. It's good for us to understand our history so we can also have some compassion on ourselves. So if there's a history of depression to kind of understand, okay, this is why maybe I feel this way sometimes and how can I handle that instead of us shaming ourselves and feeling like there's something wrong with us because of that. And yes, and it's true. And there's one emotion which is guilt is the damning part of it all. When you're shamed and then you feel guilt and you take it inward, it's the one which damages that so much. Because you want to numb it, you don't want to feel it. It's a painful feeling. And many people go through that. And then when you don't have anyone to talk to and you realize I'm guilty of this, it when you, you take it inwards, it becomes now problematic later. And that's affecting everything you're doing. I am not worthy. You feel I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. And the more you have these constant thoughts, you don't realize how they're reflecting in your daily life. That's why I said, especially the thoughts, feelings, and behavior, they're so connected and people are not aware. For me, it's the lack of of awareness, which is troubling for me. And the information outside, sometimes you have a lot of misinformation. People don't understand. We have people coming in and 
giving different kind of information and people because they trust them they take it in without understanding and like in Kenya we we don't have a reading culture if something we can't watch it if it's not something we can listen to why would I go get a book and read so you have to break it to the terms of people understand and not stigmatize it and if that happens I think we'll, we'll be coping well with it yeah one step at a time yeah one step at a time so if someone listening to this mm-hmm. is struggling with depression anxiety substance abuse and they may be having depressive thoughts or maybe they just live in a place where this is there's a horrible stigma on asking and receiving help how would you advise them to go about receiving the help that they need the first step is i know when you say even a support system i'm not talking about even family per se but even a friend someone you trust if you have that kindly take make use of that because I've seen how having a good support system helps and where you can actually talk to someone and you can rely on them in different, not only emotional, just being there. But if you lack that, it's a matter of find out how you can get a licensed, even a professional who actually has good papers. Because like in Kenya right now, I can honestly say we have many people who are claiming they are psychologists and they're not because they're, they're, there's no, there are no measures even an act which actually protects people for that. So you find like for us, if you're in Kenya, I would say even go to a hospital or reach out and find out how you can get help from a licensed professional, someone who actually is experienced and knows, a professional knows how this goes about. And if you're in a place where there's a lot of stigma attached to it, you yourself, when you realize you're going through this, the fact that you are, you've already be, become aware you have a problem is the first stage of healing. Awareness is the first stage of healing. The minute you've looked at it and you realize there is a problem and I need to deal with it. That's the first step of healing. And then from there, now it's the conscious effort of maybe looking for a nearest mental health center and looking for a professional, a counselor, where you can actually go seek help. In in Kenya here, you can go even for the, we have different pages. We have Kenya, Kenya Psychological Association, where when you go to that page, you can actually get a number of a licensed professional who can help you. But for your own good and for your for this individual, just start working on you, making sure you're observing. There are three things you actually look at. Even though it's nothing else you're doing, sleeping patterns. Change your sleeping patterns. Make sure you're observant of that. The sleeping kind of patterns you have. If you're sleeping too much, even sometimes set an alarm. When you feel you don't want to wake up in the morning, just wake up and take a shower. That is enough to actually lift your mood. Wake up and take a shower. Wake up and take a glass of water. Wake up and maybe spread your bed, do the dishes. It will give you a purpose of starting your day. So for someone now who is not yet ready to actually go seek help, start with the normal daily routines you do at home. Those ones will give you a purpose because most people get to a level where you've lost purpose in life. Let those daily routines give you a purpose. Maybe go take a walk. Intentionally take a walk and say hello to someone along the way because when you're alone with your thoughts sometimes also it's very dangerous give someone a call those daily things those small small tasks will give you a purpose to actually do something but now when you make it a routine pole pole you'll start seeing a change in yourself because even your body now it's realizing i'm actually active in this and then that will help you now go seek help and deal with the issues you're going through. But the daily routines, eating habits also change. Observe what you're eating. If you're eating too much, find a way how to actually have a balanced diet. If you're not eating, make a point of even eating a fruit, even sometimes a banana. It helps to actually lift up your energy. Let me tell you this, Christine, these small routines we do change a lot. We don't 
take time to look at them, but they change you a lot. They change the way your your mindset is, the way your 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 flow of thoughts are. It gives you a purpose. Spread the bed, go take a shower, go do dishes, clean the house, make a call to someone you care about, and just even though it's just normal talk, those small routines will help you actually now make that change of let me go seek help. If you don't want people to know, I'm very sure in different like even in your in your case in states you have you can go to on our website and get help from these doctors. Uh, that's true on your end. For for some people, so you for some therapists you do they don't take insurance, so those mm-hmm. are a little expensive. Oh. But I do know with COVID happening, like for example with my insurance, I do get reduced rates for seeing a therapist. But I definitely recommend that people check with their insurance because a lot of times people don't know that they actually do offer that service. I remember I did go through a time where I was going through a lot and my charge this lady was a counselor. So she gave me free counseling. So I think it's good to reach out as well because you just never know who you're talking to, who may be there for you. They may know someone who knows someone. Yeah. Like uh, now in our case in Kenya, I know for many people, especially paying for therapy, that's uh, that's another. Because for insurance, not many deal with that. And NHIF, I don't think it covers, which is the common one with everyone. So we have churches like for us, we have SITAM. And I, I had another day in Nairobi Baptist where you go and they actually have licensed therapists who come to actually volunteer to work with people. There are, there are different organizations like in Kenya... We have another one called Mentor360 where they have therapists volunteer their services because we understand there's a need for these and many people can't afford the services. Others, mm-hmm. we have, they have organized group sessions, especially for substance abuse disorder. They are, because of COVID, they created even virtual AA meetings. At, at the current moment, I'm trying to work on uh, organizing a gambling anonymous meeting for people with gambling disorder because it's another disorder which is there and people don't realize by by the way this is a problem. So for us here in Kenya, find a reliable source to help you find a therapist because I've gotten clients who the kind of therapy, they're telling me the kind of therapy they have gone through and I feel pain because they went to someone who don't know how to deal with these issues. We have these people right now, I understand motivational speakers, they are there, they are good to motivate, but when you have an underlying mental illness, they're not going to help you. I found someone, I was talking to someone another day and they're telling me, ah, this this thing, depression, I don't think it's a big thing. For me, I went and talked to a woman who was depressed and within three sessions of talking, she was okay. And she told me life is going on well with her. Fine in three days, you know, like I, I could feel and I was like, Rhoda, don't get angry. This is the situation which is out there where people fear even coming close to a psychologist. I I don't go saying it, I'm a psychologist. I just say, yeah, my profession is I'm a researcher because the minute you say that people fear the name itself. So the stigma associated with that, we have people out here who are telling you, people, I don't know why you're complicating depression. This someone, they can be healed. You just need to talk to them and encourage them. For someone who is actually suffering from depression, three days of talking to them in, a, in, in encouraging them, it will not help. That's someone who was maybe going through a stressful situation. That's someone who was maybe was fatigued in some way and it will actually help them. For someone who is actually suffering from depression, they already, they have tried encouraging themselves and it's not working. Mm-hmm. Don't you think they have tried actually telling themselves, I will do this, I can do this, but they lack the energy, even the will to do it. 
they don't have that. So for someone who is actually has depression, motivation doesn't work. They need treatment until now they recover. And some of them, it takes longer. Some of them, they get to a level of you need medication. And then now that's why I like the combination. If I've gotten to a place where I've sent you to a psychiatrist, it's combined with therapy. You're not just taking medication so that there's a duration you take the medication and then I wean you off medication and you continue therapy so that you don't rely on this for long. You actually know how to work with yourself and we work together until now you're ready to go and work on yourself. What currently I'm doing is a matter of making people aware. I once in a while just do trainings on mental awareness mm -hmm. and help people understand there's a difference when there's like the way you've said about anxiety and depression, many people don't understand the difference. Another part is people don't understand when you're stressed, when you you have a burnout and when you have depression. Totally when you're going through grief, when you understand the difference for these things, you can actually be able to deal with it. And because they have similar symptoms, it's just the duration and the events which happened before that is the main difference. But people don't know that. People say, I'm depressed. I'm doing this. But that's not the problem you're going through. So it's constant awareness of understanding the difference yeah. of what you're going through. That's true too. Yeah. To be constantly aware. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Awareness oh. is the first step. As in, I the as I said, and as I emphasized, is the kind of misinformation out there and that's what people go and follow. Where I get, I go on Google and on Wikipedia, I'm seeing all these symptoms and I've already diagnosed myself. I have a personality disorder. Gosh. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. A lot of, <laughs> Google has a lot of answers. And let me tell you, that is, it's a very normal process. This is just saying like, we can quickly misdiagnose ourselves, <laughs> you know, on social media and Google. So it's good to go to a licensed professional yes. who knows what they're talking about. I remember my first master's class because in psychology undergrad, you basically just go through the general things and counseling. But now when you get to master's, you're specializing. I remember the first time we got the DSM, you're there, you're told now DSM is your Bible in school where you have to understand all the illnesses. So I used to go, every time in class you'd come and say, by the way, I think I have an I have narcissistic personality disorder. The next time you'd come and say, I think I have ADHD. We used to, as in our lecturer used to laugh every time, he's like, that is very normal because you're seeing symptoms which are related. I, for me, I diagnosed myself with so many ADHD. <laughs> I have sometimes some mini signs of bipolar disorder. <laughs> like you are complicated grief. Like you could diagnose yourself with so many. But she told us that's the process because there's a lot of information. But until you're able to actually distinguish, these are signs. These are signs of bipolar. This is schizophrenia. This is this is uh, antisocial personality disorder. We used to diagnose ourselves. Even sometimes someone is saying, "Ah, uh -uh, Mualim, you should, this is me. I'm, I'm ill. I'm very sick. This is a problem. <laughs> so imagine, now as we had a lecturer, who, a professional who is guiding us, imagine now you alone, you're there Googling. You'll think you have all the mental illnesses in this world. So, yes. yes. So, so it's a very normal process, but that's why the emphasis of find someone who actually understands this, who can help you. And like you said, most of this is figured out as you go to therapy and you're unveiling all this and then your therapist may be able to unveil, oh, wow, I do see a pattern of depression. And now uh, that's why you can even find ways of coping which are so positive. And then so I was saying when you feel something is going wrong with you and there's a problem, start coordinating your life by the simple things you're doing within your life. Planning, those small plans, actually your mind, you, you calm your mind. 
down until now you have a, now you find a solution from there. Yeah. So also for resources, some that I was gonna share. You mentioned um, AA. Yes. We also have AA here, and mm-hmm. they have it also for narcotics. And I also know churches also host it. They call it some churches call it celebrate recovery. Yes. And they've made it such that you don't specifically have to be struggling with alcohol. It, so a lot of churches do that too. And you don't have to be a member of the church to to go th- to these um, treatment programs. That's so cool. those are also good resources. So for yeah. people to look out for whatever it is around you, a lot of organizations, especially right now, are offering these services. That is good. Mm-hmm. In Kenya, I know still we have we have this one. Capital uh, FM started... Bonga up where now it's they they selected professionals actually they recruited professionals who were now it's more it's a more of a platform a forum but now you have professionals who are dealing with the issues coming in so uh for some people if you don't feel comfortable going to a therapist that can help you actually kickstart that but i can share with you the a programs in kenya also yes i have the aa programs that one at least i can i can share with you but i realize many people are coming up with forums on how to help but now the the perception of mental health is what's now affecting people a lot. The way you say it, it's how people look at it makes them not even go seek help, prevent them from seeking help. And that's how they, 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 they look at it. Most people, they're like, ah, these are not African problems. African problems, go take a drink with your mates and then you're good. Go do this and then you're healed. And you know, the thing is, I know that's how many people cope, but it will get to a time where it will become solely your, 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 your source of coping mechanism. And you end up relying on it and it ends up now affecting your finances and you still go to it and it becomes now, it's no longer a coping mechanism. And these friends of yours will not be there. And then it becomes now a problem to you where you can't even manage. So it's just a matter of finding language to use to help people actually seek help. Yes. And now you hear men, men are saying like, for me, I've seen men cry for help in so different ways. But even for me, I had to get to a place where I need to understand them. It wasn't easy. Sometimes I would go, even when I used to work with athletes, I'd go change my, my I change and get into training kits and go run with them, get in their zone for them to get to a place where, by the way, they can actually talk to me, where I would train, work with them, be in their in their space so they get comfortable enough to actually tell me what's going on. I, sometimes I would actually understand the game. The good thing is for, for, for rugby, I understood rugby. So if I see them, they've been performing so well and all of a sudden today their game was bad, I would address the issue using the game. So yes, I would address the problem going on using the game. I know this game is important to them. So let me help you work with the game, with the sport and how it, what went wrong. And then through that, you can actually tell me what the underlying problem is. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I address the game. I know you love this game, but now I'm seeing your game is being affected. Your performance has lowered. So I'm working to help you with your performance. And the minute I start working on the performance, it will help me work with the underlying issues. So some essence of sports psychology had to come in. I had to actually learn the, 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 the nitty gritties of what works about now improving performance in a person. So when I work on the performance, I can actually be able to bring about the underlying problems and we work with them to improve your performance. And when one side of it is dealt with, the other aspect of their life they work on it. Thank you for all that work <laughs> you're doing. Thank you. I love it. In simple, I love it. And it's showing with time. I'm hoping many people are embracing it and they see we are actually not. We are there to actually be 
help them be the best of themselves. So mm-hmm. to recap, some yes. things that all of us can do because we're all living in a pandemic right now. Our lives have changed drastically. We can monitor our sleeping patterns. Yes. And on tough days to just try to wake up and take a shower to just start the day. Yes. And to drink a glass of water. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to do our dishes, do that laundry, fold our yes. clothes, yes. Put, it, put things away. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Try to find a daily routine. So maybe just something you can wake up to. Thank you. Yeah. And then you said to intentionally take a walk. Yeah. Call someone. Have a chat with someone. Yes. If you're alone, if someone is there within the house, no problem. But make that in intentional. Make it intentional. Yeah, make it intentional. Right now with isolation, you need to have someone, another human being who understands what you're going through. Make that intentional. Those those small things you're doing, it's more of your grounding. I call it, it's grounding yourself. You're losing, you feel like you're losing control of yourself. So when you ground yourself, you can actually be able to look at things in a different perspective. So it's basically grounding yourself. And you're doing it consciously so you know it will end up working until it becomes maybe a routine. Or you find something which works for you, even for fun. Like others, sometimes they do yoga. Like for me, I have tried so many things, even I've tried until I get that. Sometimes I'm in the mood of something. Let's say I want to go for a walk. Other times I'm in the mood of music. Other times I literally do a self-talk of telling myself, wait, it's time. You need to do this. Yeah. yeah. Other times I do yoga, like whatever works. And I know every, not not every time that routine will work. Always try something new until exactly. you, yeah, something within your space. Try it. And I've seen it. I'm, I'm not, I've seen it work. And sometimes you think of, wait, in the morning I was feeling like this, but right now my mood is improved. So when you make yeah. it a conscious thing, you, you find things are working so well. Because yeah. the brain is a powerful thing. Brain. Uh, it's the brain, it is. Yes. Yes. For me, I'll try my best to even just take five minutes of silence and then I'll say a prayer. And then if that's all I can do, then that's fine. Because on some days I don't have the energy. And also just acknowledging where we are. So if you wake up and you are maybe grieving, give yourself time to to feel that. Maybe cry if you need to, but acknowledge that you're sad. So acknowledge whatever emotion it is. That's very mm-hmm. critical. Actually, I've brought something very critical. Uh, there's a therapist, mine who told me, Rhoda, the first thing you do is you need to know how to connect with your feeling. Because the minute you don't know how to connect to the feeling, you don't underst- you'll not understand what is going on with you. Acknowledge that feeling, no matter how it is. And then don't block it. Let it flow. And then I'll deal with it. Acknowledge yeah. the same. Acknowledge it. Where is it coming from? Why am I feeling like this? What was the trigger? So the more you connect to your feeling, the more you're more aware of what is going on with you. You're mindful of your surrounding and yourself. And it's yeah. something now which becomes so automatic. So yes, acknowledging your feeling. If you're sad, if you're happy, it is okay. No one is judging you. And then now another part is don't judge yourself so harshly. We have a tendency of doing that where we we even judge the way we're feeling so harshly. And then when we do that, our brain has the tendency of protecting ourselves. So you you want to actually, and with the more you block this feeling, the more one day it will spill in a way, it will even affect you more. So acknowledge it. And even when it's something you don't want to deal with, find a way to deal with in a very non-judgmental way. 
Don't yeah. judge yourself. Very non-judgmental. Because you're like, why am I feeling like I should not be feeling like this? this? Like, no, allow yourself to feel in a very non-judgmental way. So direct, the same way you'd tell someone, direct that emotion to you. To, your, to ourselves. Yes, to ourselves. Tell yourself, I understand what you're going through. It hasn't been easy. When you wake up in the morning and you can't leave the bed and you're feeling, sometimes people will say it's lazy and will call ourselves, stop being lazy. Mm-hmm. You need to wake up. No, tell yourself, I understand. Maybe you had a very crazy week. Maybe something else happened. I understand what you're going through. So right now to get you out of this mood, let me just go take a shower. Let me just go listen to music. Become compassionate towards yourself, which is also something which lacks a lot. So when you do that, even you yourself, you find your energy levels slowly start improving because you're bringing some levels of positiveness. The naming the emotion is is just it's so crucial. It's very mm-hmm. powerful. When you make something aware, you, you are reducing the power it has over you. That yeah. emotion, it, you're reducing that power it has over you. You're reclaiming your power back and you're becoming back. Yes, you're getting back in control when you do that. Yeah. Yes. And it can also help others help us. Sitting down with the, our emotions for a little bit can help us know what we, what is it we're asking of others. So yes. if I call them yeah. and I'm like, you know, I'm, I feel really sad. I just need someone to listen to me right now. And then your friend can listen to you vent. But if you call them, you also don't know what you're feeling. Then they are telling you things and now you're upset at yourself. And then it's, it creates a yeah, disconnect and you become frustrated. And also, exactly. uh, and also you see the way, I don't know if you've experienced it on your side, people saying, ah, women are emotional. And I'm like, you realize even being angry, that's an emotion. Even the way the, the outburst you people have, it's also, we are all emotional beings. But now when you condemn me for being emotional and expressing myself, it doesn't, it blocks me for actually saying what's going on. And then when you say uh, a man should not do this, should not do that, it's also blocking the men from actually admitting what's going on with them. And exactly. the more you, yes, and the more you block it, the more, and then the more they'll not actually admit what's going on and the problem grows bigger and bigger every time. That's why right now you hear for like for suicide, women attempt suicide. The, the, the prevalence for women attempted suicide is high, but the percentage, the statistics for the men who complete suicide is higher. Women are the attempt and but completing that suicide, the men do that. That's why you hear even I think even for statistics in Kenya, men are ranking higher because them they complete and that is what is recorded. For men, they decide that's what they are doing, they complete the suicide. So the rates for men is higher. And because they don't understand what is going on, the only solution, let me let me end my life. Because they have no understanding of what is going on in their minds. And until now, they can actually be able to talk about it. That's where the solution is found. But since they can't, the rates will start going higher and higher and higher. So, yeah. yeah. And it's so sad because suicide is really people looking for solutions for their pain. Yeah. You know, so it's People who are doing it don't actually want to die. They just want their pain to end. Yes. And the only solution they see, it's let me end it. And mm-hmm. and I know sometimes people say it's uh, that person who... They, they, they are being selfish and I'm like they, when they are leaving they didn't see someone who actually can understand them and the pain is too much and for them the only solution is that even some of the means they use it's so brutal brutal yeah. yes yeah. and that's just, a big point you brought up about people feeling misunderstood yeah I feel like when you're going through a lot of pain it's easy to believe no one understands you and that goes back to the depression yes. anxiety substance abuse just feeling like like no, nobody else understands you. That's why it's so crucial for us to get more um, professional help. But what Christine, you're doing, it's 
it's very it's very it's a good platform where you're actually making uh, people are listening and you're connecting and identifying with what they're doing so that's another way of creating awareness yeah i hope so. it helps someone even if it's that one person you know that's my hope (laughs) for me I know it helps and having a way of actually communicating that's why I said for me I've decided my whole focus is research and prevention methods if I can actually because I've seen the extreme side of depression I've seen the extreme side of mental illness even substance abuse it is not good it's demoralizing because you know this person even when you're treating them and the minute this person leaves the rehab the next week they're coming they're back again at it and you did your best but Mm -hmm. the system doesn't support them so i've seen the end the extreme side of it so if it can actually be able to come up with ways of preventing and interventions before it gets there i will do anything on my side yeah it's a global problem even here so people may go in for treatment for let's say alcohol use but then they get out and they don't have a job so they go back on the street and they'll come back for help again so yeah the it's a it's a pro- global pandemic yes yeah. so and it's acknowledging the same way you said it's acknowledging it and realizing as the way you're addressing other illnesses physical illnesses also address this mental illness mental illness yes yes because it's a disability you it can't really fa- yeah it's a disability Disability. The minute you get there, you can't function the normal way like any other person. So it's a disability. Address it so wow. someone can function it. Yeah. Thanks, Rhoda. <laughs> Thank you too. Is, yeah. is there anything else you'd like to share with us? Uh, I think I've exhausted a lot, but uh, one thing is... I hope this kind of communications and conversations help people actually realize it's not it's not being weak actually coming out and addressing the issues you're going through. Sometimes the small simple things they can accumulate to become a problem. And to emphasize on the point I said earlier, when you're going to look for a therapist, anywhere you're going to look for therapists, get a licensed one because it's like I usually like using this uh, ideology where for people who have diabetes, they usually when you're injured, it's a wound which it covers, it gets on the on the outside, you see it's healed. But on the inside, it's not yet healed. It keeps on now affecting you, eating you inside. But on the outside, you see the wound is healed. So this mm-hmm. is the same thing. Yes, it continue, the, the infection continues spreading. No one can see it. So it's the same thing. Where when you're going through something and you feel you, you are, you, it's depression or any other kind of illness or even a trauma you've gone through. And then when you go to someone who doesn't know how to deal with this, yes, opening up it is okay. You've been, for someone to actually get to the point of seeking help, they have been coping until it's a place where they can't cope anymore. So they go seek help. And then you find this counselor who helps you open up. Now you've opened a can. You've opened that wound and really shown where the problem is. But the the thing is, if this person is not equipped enough to help you, we'll find a way of sealing that again, sealing that wound and it's not going to deal with what is inside. So the infection will continue eating you. The trauma you've already exposed and the minute you don't deal with these aspects of what you're going through, it will continue affecting you now even worse. Actually, you'll be at a worse place than you were before you went for the rap. Because now you know where the problem is, but you have no one to help you put the pieces together. So it continues eating you in different ways of life. Until now, unless you deal with it, now it actually affects you more. Because now you're aware, this is the problem I'm going through. But you don't have someone who can help you deal with it. So that's usually what I say. So take time, take your time. 
look for someone who actually can be able to help you. If it's substance abuse, if, if it's AA, go for that because you have that support system. Find ways of getting that. Take your time and then the minute you get that qualified person, you can actually be able to deal with the problem instead of opening a wound and then it continue eating you without no knowledge how to stop it. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on today and for sharing all that you've shared today. That is such useful information that will benefit so many people. Now, I understand depression differently. I understand anxiety differently. So thank you so much, Rhoda. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your support. Please be sure to leave us a review. That will be very beneficial. It will help put this podcast on the map so others can find it. Be sure to check us out on Instagram at Africans Heal. Check out our website at africansheal.com. Share this episode with a friend and be sure to tune in next week. You do not want to miss it. Music.